All right, we're talking about something that is preparation for death. In this particular time, I'd like to talk to us about heavenly-mindedness as one of the principal ways that Christians, from the beginning of the scriptures, uh, have thought about life in this world in, a, in order to not get too comfortable in this world or to be too overwrought about the things that actually happen to us uh, in this world. Now, I'd like us to look primarily at Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Chip referenced these a few weeks back. He said that he, very early on in his Christian life, he memorized this chapter and I pretty much have this chapter down uh, in my memory as well, but from another translation. So when I read this, it may get a little garbled. I'll try and stick directly with uh, the NIV. But here it says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Now, we're going to look at this from the perspective initially that Paul looks at this life through the prism of Christ's perfections. And then secondly, the reality that we really can have no confidence in the things that are going on in this world. And then Paul's confidence is that his life is hidden with Christ and God. Now, The issue in the book of Colossians, overwhelmingly, the overall issue is acceptance. How does a person know God's acceptance? Well, that's what Paul is trying to, in a sense, polish off in these verses. Chapter 2 is a lesson on how we should not seek acceptance with God. And there's some corrections that are in there, but this is his primary correction on how we know our acceptance. So Paul is absolutely confident in Jesus' perfections. The reason simply is this. Jesus is seated at God's right hand. Now just think of it for a minute. It, it, we, I constantly would talk to people and they look at a passage like this and they go, wow, what in the world does that mean? How can we think about it? Well... I want to go back to Paul's conversion. I mentioned it a couple of times now. But Paul and that conversion experience, he's on that Damascus road. He and those other people, probably on horseback, all of a sudden this light flashes around him. He gets down on the ground, probably in shock. But in this 
time, maybe it's just minutes, in this light, he sees Jesus glorified. Now, that's really what I'd like you to hold in your mind. Now, if you're, some of you have been in education, and when I was studying in that undergraduate degree in education, we were studying various educational theories. And there was this one man whose name is Piaget. Now, this Piaget uh, coined a term in basically adolescent uh, education, and it's called object permanency. And the famous illustration that Piaget used was of a baby duck. Now, when a baby duck comes out of its shell, and the first thing that it sees, guess what that duck thinks? That's mama. <laughs> and so Piaget would do these things, and then he would say, here, let's, I'll walk by my ducks. And he'd walk by his ducks, and as soon as he walked, what would the, these little ducks that he had arranged for him to see first when they opened their eyes, what would they do? Wherever Piaget went, they went. That's pretty good sense to me as a Christian. What's Paul see? He sees the glorified Jesus. Now, it's there. It's Another way of talking about this is it's imprinted. It's there. You close your eyes and you can see it. Now, don't go telling Pat about this, that I told you this, but, you know, when we were engaged, she was in Florida and I was in South Carolina. And you know what I could do? I could close my baby little eyes and what do you think? I'm sure none of you have ever been guilty of that, have you? Some of you need to become guilty of it again. Me too. But that was, the, that was very easy. I could close my eyes and I could see that red-headed girl from Michigan. It was impressed. I had a bit of object permanency. Now, Paul sees Jesus Christ in this vision. Now, Jesus, Christ. We talk about Jesus, the person of Jesus, having two natures. One nature is the nature of the divine, the eternal Son of God, made man, Jesus, the man, Jesus. Now, when Paul sees Jesus glorified by God, he knows that Jesus has been absolutely accepted. That this Jesus is absolutely accepted. Now, 
we think of just prior to Paul's conversion that Stephen is martyred. You remember Stephen's words in his martyrdom? He said, he looked up into heaven, and the heavens opened, and he said, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now, when the people that were putting him to death heard that, they were even more enraged in intent on putting him to death. They, what, what Stephen had said is, I see the accursed one standing at the right hand of God. Now, can you imagine that that would make sense to a Jewish Pharisee? That is the ultimate blasphemy, that the accursed one is standing at God's right hand. Now, Paul sees the accursed one as the glorified one. And he comes to understand more in theology in just the few moments of this revelation than all of these years of childhood training into his early adult time sitting at the feet of Gamaliel and becoming a Pharisee. Paul knows as Jesus is seated at God's right hand that the man Jesus is accepted. Over time, Paul realizes that what he sees is the guarantee of his acceptance. What we need to see as he tells us to look like this, we're looking to see and set our mind on the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God and to know that as we have our faith in Christ that we are going to be accepted in Christ, accepted by the Father in exactly the same way that Jesus is accepted. Now, we look at all what we can talk about in a fancy little word called the vicissitudes of life, all of life's ups and downs. Jesus went through all of them, tempted at every point like we are, yet without sin. Jesus conquered all of these things. That's another reason why he's seated at the right hand of God that's really what chapter 2 in the book of Colossians is about, Jesus as our victor. All right? Jesus is in a position of authority. And we know that in times when we have been in desperate need and we call out to God the Father through Jesus' name, that our prayers have been answered and things have changed around us. And we sense that the reason they changed is because we prayed to Jesus. Jesus heard our prayer. And as he promised, I'll always be with you. I'll never forsake you. You ask anything in my name and you shall receive it. We know that we're accepted because Jesus is accepted, because Jesus is conquered, because Jesus is in the power position of a power and authority. And he then fills all of our need cup. 
Now, in, in Paul, Philippians chapter 1, Paul can say things like this, for me to die is gain. That's what he's telling us. A few weeks back, uh, we had Jeff Thompson here and talking about what happened to him over here at the medical center, and it, his is just the testimony. It's wonderful to have testimonies like this, but it's just a testimony. But more than this for us, it's a compliment. It's a compliment to everything that we know in the scripture about what it talks about for a believer to pass from this world into that world that's beyond. We're told that it's a place of peace. It's a place of paradise. It's a place of love. All of these things, I found it interesting how Jeff used language that was all very similar to the kinds of things that we're told about what it would be like to go and to be with the Lord. Jesus' absolute perfections are our confidence. As Jesus is seated at God's right hand, we need to know that's the guarantee. That's why he says repeatedly in this, the translation that I'm used to using it says, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above. Then it says, set your mind on the things above and don't set your mind on the things below. We're repeated over and over again to have a heavenly mindedness. Now, the second thing I'd like to come to, the reality about this life. Many people who have a difficult time thinking about and preparing for death have that difficulty either because of control issues they want to hold on to what they have here. Now, what they have here could be relationships. What they have here may be material things. What they have here may be the sense of their comfort is surrounded here. We surround ourselves with things that basically help us feel secure, help us feel comfortable in this world. Um, I have a neighbor. You probably wouldn't care for my neighbor. I kind of like my neighbor. My neighbor raises pit bulls. Yeah, I heard it. I heard it. <laughs> I heard it. You wouldn't want that, would you? Do you know it's nice to be a little hard of hearing? You know, it really is a blessing to be just a little hard of hearing. Because my bedroom window faces the, side, the backyard, and he has allowed the hedge that separates our yards to grow up into a massive thing. And it breaks some of the sound of those dogs, but something will get them dogs going at night. Sure enough, takes a while. But you know what? I'm happy that those dogs are back there. It's just a little confidence knowing that they're back there. People just don't like to mess with them dogs. They leave me alone at the same time, see? So it's a good thing. I feel better about this. I like my stuff. 
it makes me feel comfortable. I'm com comfortable in my own surroundings. But reality tells us if we set our mind on earthly things, we're going to be dramatically disappointed. Uh, for a year, I worked at Gulfport, Mississippi. The man whose home I stayed in, it had been his uncle's home and somebody else in the family before that. It's a 100-year-old home set right on the beach. only thing that separated it from the water was the, the little highway there that uh, was right, right out beyond his front yard. When I came down after Katri er, Katrina, there was not one board left on his property. This man was a fastidious 65-year-old bachelor orthopedic surgeon that sewed his own sails for his sailboats. He had sterling silver and polished it himself. I could go on and on. I mean, he would have made any mother a wonderful girl, but he wasn't. He wasn't. I, when we were down there one time, uh, took some of the women that were down there working after Katrina, and we went over on his boat. The boat was called the Van Albert Lee. It was built in 1924. The man who owned the boat had four men friends, Van, Al, Bert, and Lee. So he named the boat the Van Albert Lee. I took these ladies from the church onto that boat with this man, and they were smitten. <laughs> they, they, how in the world did this guy go through life unmarried? It's all gone. A couple days right after Katrina, his brother, who lived in the house they grew up at in about three doors to the east, and his daughters, a couple of them married, and they went down to the beach before they said you couldn't go. And they were walking on the beach where their homes used to be on the right, there was nothing. And so the one girl said to uh, their uncle, said, what are you going to do? He's in a real kind of prissy way now says, what in the blank do you think I'm going to do? I haven't got a wife. I haven't got a house. I haven't got a boat. What do you think I'm going to do? He didn't have any more clue what he was going to but it was all gone. There's another couple there, Ed and Eleanor. Ed was a missionary child with Billy Graham's wife's family in China. He told me, he said one day, did I ever tell you about the first woman I ever kissed? I said, no. He said, well, it was Billy Graham's wife, and she is quite a kisser. They were 11. Well... 
as he and Eleanor made a whole life together, all that Ed did was go through life finding things that Eleanor would treasure and bringing them home to Eleanor. Eleanor went through life finding things that Ed would treasure and bringing them home to Ed. Their house was on the beach and it was full of treasure. When they moved to the beach, Ed got the insurance agent, brought him to the house, and said, I've never lived on the beach. I'm a doctor. I don't have time for all of this. Whatever insurance I need, that's what I want. Guess what he didn't have? Insurance for that. And it was all gone. A, a whole lifetime of collecting for the one you love. And it was all gone. And I went and stayed in a little condominium that they owned uh, seven or eight months later. And they just said, you know, I think we're happier now than we had all that stuff. But these people were heavenly minded. All of these people that I'm telling you knew that this could happen. And it did happen. And their character was better for it happening. It was, they were never devastated. They were full of joy, full of peace, full of happiness. Now let me tell you why. In the book of Hebrews, in chapter 11, in verses 13, it said all these people, speaking of the people of faith that he's mentioned here in Hebrews 11, were still living by faith when they died. You hear that? They were still living by faith when they died. Now you see the point of focusing on Jesus Christ. We want to die still living in faith, in faith in Christ. Christ is in this place of perfection. Now just think of it for a minute. Which came first? God? the creator, or man, the creature? Which is first? It's pretty obvious, isn't it? Is heaven, as God's home, prior to earth, our home? Would not one think that the God of all love and all power made something here that well, this is sort of like what the Greeks would say, a faint reflection of what is there. I grew up in West Palm Beach. When I asked Pat to marry me, we were in a little Camaro that she owned on an island between West Palm Beach and Palm Beach. And if we look to the Palm Beach side from where we were at on that little island, there was what today is Donald Trump's estate. It was called Mar-a-Largo. I grew up thinking that was paradise. <laughs> that was a pretty good picture of paradise. This is nothing. These people of the Old Testament realized it was nothing. And so it talks about them it talks about Abraham living in the land of promise. How did he live in the land of promise? You remember? In tents. 
He lived in the land of promise. He was the heir, the owner, but he lived in tents because here's what it's saying. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on the earth. People who, show, who say such things show that they are still looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared a city for them. This is what we're being told. We are in this world, but for a short period of time. Mom made it to 95. You know, when she was almost 95, she says, You know, I never thought that I'd really want to live to be 100. But I kind of think it would be fun. Well, she didn't get there. We need to hold loosely to what's in this world. The temporal things, the physical things are temporal. And the spiritual things are eternal. Now the last thing I just close with is this. Paul's confidence in Colossians chapter 3 is that his life is hidden with Christ in God. What, what he came to understand from the whole Old Testament message was this, that when a person sinned, when the nation of Israel sinned, when anyone ever sinned, and they came before the priest at the temple, they brought a sacrifice. The priest would take the sacrificial victim and place him over here and put the one hand of the person confessing the sin on, he would put his one hand on the animal and then he would put his hand on, the priest would put his hand on the person confessing the sin. It was a picture. It was a picture of transferring the guilt and the culpability for what the human had done into the animal. And then the animal was slaughtered for the sin. What are we told in the scriptures? That Christ is our sacrifice, our atoning sacrifice. He is our peace. He is our reconciliation. He is all of these things. He died on the cross as a substitute for us. Now, when he dies, he dies a person who has sin imputed to him, our sin. But he himself is righteous. And this is what Paul came to understand, that that's the transaction that he saw the guarantee of when he saw Jesus himself glorified. In that way, Saul came to understand that all the promises that were for the people of Israel 
through the Messiah were the promises to all the people of faith through Jesus. And he began to look at all of those promises and like a great big funnel, he began to pour all of those promises into the person of Jesus Christ. The picture that he comes out with is the picture that we are in Christ and that all of these promises that God has made to the Messiah, that God has made to the people of Israel, that God has made to the people of faith are ours through our representative, the Lord Jesus Christ. So he comes to this point, probably one of the high water points in all of the speaking of Christ, when he says, if Christ has been raised, or if you've been raised up with Christ, you keep seeking the things above where Christ is. And you won't be disappointed. When Christ to us our life is revealed, the promise is you will be revealed with him in glory. Let's pray. Father, help us. We wrestle with the prospect of death. We see our loved ones, our friends, wrestling with the prospect of death. And some of them are unprepared. They're unprepared because they don't know Christ. They're unprepared because even as Christians, they've not spent much time thinking about this. May what we have spent here be a help to us. And then through the help that we have received, help us to be help to other people that others could have the comfort of Christ Jesus in their lives. Now we make our prayer in his name, knowing that he is there, our acceptance in heaven. We pray in his name. Amen.